0: really goes then to the mindset of that every individual child has the ability uh, to their biggest potential and really making sure that they see each child and each student as having the strength and the abilities to achieve uh, what they're able to and making sure that they support a system that allows and enables uh, educators to do that for them.
1: If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. Uh, with me today, we're doing, we have two guests. You know, we normally don't do two guests, but got disrupted a little bit, so we will today. Uh, my first guest is uh, Ryan McDonald, who is Senior Program Associate with the Council of Chief State School Officers. Uh, also with me is uh, uh a vice president from Knowledge Worth. Uh, she's the vice president of impact and improvement with Knowledge Works, and is based in Boston. But you know, we have a big Cincinnati presence here too. So we're honored to have them both on the show. Welcome both of you. Thanks, Thank for
2: having. me. We're looking forward to the conversation.
1: No, looking forward to having you and really talking about how we can uh, improve education. It's the one of the most important things that we do in our society, and. Um, we need to constantly innovate, constantly improve. And so I'm always interested, in, uh, and, I, and I know our listeners are always interested in the uh, innovation that's happening within the space and how we can improve it to really impact more lives. And uh, so just honored to, to have you both on. I know you you are both kind of co-collaborating on a project. If you can talk about mm-hmm. a little bit about what you, what you two are doing together and, and, and what you see as the vision going forward for that. I'll start with you, Rebecca.
2: Sure, so uh, Ryan and I came together almost six, seven years ago now um, in response to something that both of our organizations were hearing in different parts of the world, where more and more folks were starting to pay attention to the research on how students actually learn, what motivates them, what engages them, and what we were calling student-centered learning. And educators and innovators kind of at that cutting edge were saying, ooh, we love this, but what is the this? What does it look like? And at the same time, Ryan's organization, which focuses on the chiefs, so the systems level, the folks in each of the states were saying, well, if we wanna support this, what would the policy be? What would the regulation be? Because it was, it was pretty brand new. Again, this was starting 10 years ago. So our organizations came together again about seven years ago to try to develop a set of what we've called educator competencies so that groups of educators, schools, districts, states that are trying to move in this more transformative direction have a roadmap have a set of ways of saying, oh, this is what it means to truly be learner-centered, to truly build collaboration systems, schools that are meeting the learner where they need and are helping point them towards the future of of where they wanna go. Um, And the reason we're kind of, here and back, you know, we said it's seven years ago, we just just came out with a whole um, refresh of the competencies. Um, so maybe I'll kick it to Ryan to talk about why we thought this was the time now and kind of what we built into um, the, the new version and why we're really excited to talk about it.
0: Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, about, I think it was almost two years ago, we came back together uh, to re-examine kind of what had happened with the educator competencies first to really just understand we had released them at that point around five years ago and just wanted to know like how have they been used in the field how have the educators and communities been able to like, utilize them and able to help their transformation towards a more student-centered approach uh, but then also we had an understanding that are uh, the field um had begun to focus and understand the importance of directly talking about equity and the importance of approaching education through an equitable lens. So we wanted to make sure to go back and look, how can we pull out and make sure that equity is at the forefront? I think in the original copy, it was there, um, but unless I think you were looking at it through a fully equitable lens, you might not be able to see it at the forefront. Um, So we wanted to make sure that we brought that up um, in in the work. And then the third just wanted to understand how can we better support educators in the system in the field um, to utilize them in a more and uh, more actionable ways uh, So thinking about what are other ways we can package and put the competencies together um, to provide a more usable, uh, resource for the field. So we went through a process over two years of doing some intense stakeholder engagement uh, doing a bunch of focus groups with a wide array of stakeholders, including teachers, educators, folks that have used the document itself previously, folks that hadn't before, uh, state leaders, uh, but then also really equity and uh, civil rights oriented organizations and individuals who could really help us elevate that uh, equity within the document, but then also learners themselves, the students that are actually experiencing this type of teaching and learning to make sure that we're portraying and putting forth what what do they want to experience in their learning and make sure that their voices are in the document. And yeah. um, So in October, we were able to kind of culminate that with a release of the new refresh educator competencies to hopefully be able to continue to provide the field support and thinking through kind of what is that it, uh, particularly for uh, teams of educators um, in school buildings, and then support the broader system to ensure that uh, the system aligns in order to enable them to do that type of teaching and learning.
1: So how are we defining equity and how, and, you know, because we uh, equity is a, it's a good term, but it, it, it's, it's very difficult to sometimes assess when you, are, when you have equity, and then I think it's even that much harder to make it part of the culture. So how, how, how are you guys going about that? Because it's, it's much easier said than done. 100%.
2: Um, and it's one of those kind of learnings that we did between those two versions. In that first version, we put lots of good stuff in there, but we actually realized we never defined equity. We just, so as, as Ryan said, like if you are already equity-minded, maybe you would see it. In the new version, what we did is we adapted the National Equity Project's definition because they had already—they've done such amazing work in this field for so long—and they have a specific definition where they look at um, equity specifically through an education lens. So that's kind of was our starting point. Um, but then what we did from there was we looked at um, all of the specific skills, attributes, mindsets that then could fit under that because just because you have sort of a high you know a high level, definition doesn't then necessarily tell educators well what do I do on a day-to-day and so that's kind of what's built into the competencies themselves Um, and so what we we did in this version is we actually coded them so in the paper version there's or the downloadable version there's little tags and then the digital version you can search just on that so if really what you want to know is how can I be learner centered and equity minded? You can kind of toggle it in our interactive version and you can see the competencies that just focus on that. Um, and just, I just found it, I can't, I can't recite it by heart, but um, what we, the, the definition from national equity project that we use um, is that educational equity means that each child receives what they need to develop their unlimited academic and social potential. And working towards equity in schools involves ensuring equally high outcomes for all participants in the system, removing the predictability of success or failure that correlates with any social, economic, or cultural factor, interrupting inequitable practices, examining biases, creating inclusive multicultural school environments, and discovering and cultivating unique gifts, talents, and interests of each and every member of that learning community.
1: It's a long definition. So, <laughs> it's a long definition. There Somebody in academics definitely celebrate. That's that. why
2: I don't have it memorized. Yeah, I you just should, quickly yeah. look it up in the paper. I knew we had done it.
1: Right, um,
2: right. But, you know, and it's, it's one of the things that we both are proud of and get criticized for in the competencies. We are really thorough. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a lot in those competencies. It's a big, deep, rich document. Um, but part of what we've tried to do is break it down so that there's lots and lots of different ways, different educators at different parts of their journey and different roles can use them. So, you don't have to sort of start on page one and go all the way to the end. There's lots of different ways to interact with them, to test your own practice, to learn. Um, so, and that definition is just one of them. You, you may not tackle all those pieces.
1: That's yeah, not one, Yeah, yeah. But at a, least a, you
2: have that to start thinking about.
1: So, but I think <laughs> it's probably equity, more than you asked for, Rough. <laughs> no, that's fine. Being equity, having an equity mindset, you know, I, I think it, it requires I mean that definition said a lot, but essentially I look at it as, as a way that you have to learn how to teach in a way that is not necessarily straight across the board universal, and you have to give um, you have to give tools that are specific to the situation, environment, and context that you're dealing with 100%. and not just say you can have one way and one way of teaching, and that's it, and expect that it's going to work for all kids in every Absolutely. situation, right? That's kind of my view uh, from what you said if in, a, um, in, a, yeah. in, a, in a summarize. If right. Ryan, I wanna to get to you and actually ask you, you to jump in, and I wanna ask you as you no, jump just, in th- this question here too. How do we get from the chief of staff's point of view, how do we get equity uh, minded kind of a culture to be there? Because it, it's, 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 it's one thing to say, equity is important. Have a check check the box statement, we believe in equity. But when you look at how, how, how things are run, you know, There's not equity in, in, in things, but we say we love equity. We say these things. But if you look at them, a lot of organizations, you don't see equitable results in much of how things are applied. So how do you have that? How do you challenge your chief staffs and folks to really have that equity mindset? Yeah, it's a great question. No, what I was going to
0: say for your previous point is really, you know, when we think around kind of understanding each kid as individuals, like that's what we're talking about when we're talking about kind of student-centered personalized learning is understanding that, that one-size-fit all kind of industrial model where there's the teacher at the front of the classroom giving the instruction and everyone's going to move on to their next class, but really understand that every child shows up in a classroom with their own individual um, strengths, the things they need to work on, their interests, and in, you know, supporting a system that allows educators to tap into that and create the learning environment for that. But when, when it comes to kind of setting and understanding how to set an equity mindset, I think you know, with our work at the CCSSO, uh, we've really encouraged uh, state education agency folks and the folks that lead them to really start internally. And understand what does equity mean to you as a state? Every state is individual. Every state kind of brings their own history, their own understanding. But really understand kind of what does equity mean for your state and for your staff. And really do the learning uh, to kind of understand what does equity mean within your state. Uh, Because states, education agencies, could think they have all the answers. But unless they start to really take the time to understand kind of what does equity mean, where are the inequities within their states that they see through not only the Test scores but just uh, in proportion of supports and surrounding resources they're making sure to think through kind of what is the, the state of the of their state and thinking about kind of how their agency can better support a more equitable learning environment and it really goes down to the mindset of that every individual child has the ability uh, to their biggest potential and really making sure that they see each child and each student as having the strengths and the abilities to achieve of what they're able to and making sure that they support a system that allows and enables uh, educators to do that for them or with them, I should say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, go ahead. You uh, want to say something, Rebecca?
2: Well, I was just going to share a little bit of a, a personal story because you were, you were kind enough to kick us yeah. off earlier, sharing a little of your background. And yeah. I think it sort of complements what Ryan is talking about. And so um, my only sibling um, has Down syndrome. And I grew up in a school system that was actually really, really well equipped to meet her very specific needs. Um, I was kind of on the other end of the spectrum. You know, I'm the smarty pants researcher, you know, had lots and lots of kind of individual drive and motivation and, you know, very type A. And the school system was pretty well equipped to also serve me. It was those huge percentage of students in the middle that in our particular school system, they just kind of grouped in the middle and got very kind of mediocre kind of baseline. Like everybody kind of got the same thing. And so from a very early age, I was really attuned to how well my sister, even with her profound disability, and I thrived in a school system that was able to meet what we need and how vast numbers of kids were just kind of bored and disengaged and so you know, no doubt that that influenced the research that I later started being both a proponent of and being around student centeredness because one thing that we have just absolutely blasted out of the water at this point there is no it is a myth that there is an average student every Mm. single student has a diverse set of needs and backgrounds and interests and passions, and so from you know, the research standpoint that I look most at from the policy standpoint that Ryan looks most at, we're really trying to think about how do we kind of craft the systems that are right. able to address the fact that every single learner has the potential to learn at a very high to learn at a very high level um, if they're given the kinds of you know, learner centered approaches that you know we're, we're hoping more and more folks will use um, as time goes on.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that's, you make, you make such a great point. Um, a <clears throat> couple things. I mean, looking at how students learn, uh, I shared the story with you earlier and I've shared it with listeners a lot of times, so I won't go into the great desk, but a lot of people know, I, I have ADHD and, and in uh, elementary school, I, 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 struggled a whole lot and, but, you know, eventually a light bulb went off despite a teacher and some counselors telling me I wouldn't go to school. Uh, I wouldn't go to college. I should say I did and was very successful at it. But I do know that, uh, you know, uh, back then how they diagnosed uh, ADHD, y- you were diagnosed as a disability, like it's something it's like you couldn't do versus a learning difference. Like it's I'm better at listening to books and I can mm-hmm. absorb the knowledge better than a lot of people can reading it cover to cover. But as long as you're learning it, then we need to give uh, uh to both teachers and students, the tools to learn exactly. in, in the way that is receptive to the students, instead of really holding on to this is the way we've always done it. People have to read a book and that's the only way you can learn exactly. it. That is not factual. <laughs> you, can, you can read, you can listen to a book, and I read Audible and I take I notes like, and I can regurgitate what happened much better than I can reading the paperback. Now, some people are the opposite way, but, uh, but now we, we definitely have to, we definitely have to teach models that where people can pivot and not necessarily hold on to what worked for them or what they they thought was the right way and just pivoting and 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 really disrupting how we teach is very 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 important um i would say second uh back to our early point with when we Mm -hmm. talked about equity and it's been unfortunate that uh some things i think have gotten politicized that shouldn't be politicized um i'll I'll put science in that category and i'm then i'm next going to put Education, and when I look at and I, and I and I think, frankly, why it's hard to deal with talking about equity is because now, uh, you know, critical race theory and things like that have been mm-hmm. become, have become a political f- football when they shouldn't be. Critical race to me involves critical thinking. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're saying we're going to look and understand race from a critical perspective, not from a simplistic point of view. Or, or the way we've been traditionally taught. So I think as we talk about doing equity, we have to, the reason why it's tough and I think why we have to have it as a culture is we have to have a culture where people can be challenged, specifically challenge some of their traditional beliefs. And that's very difficult for people because we've now tied it in. And I think pol- the political environment has done no favors to us, but we've tied this in to like, this is part of your identity. Like I must be against this if I vote this way and nobody can explain why I just have to be against it. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, and I think this is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you guys are tackling it because you obviously have to work in a bipartisan manner uh, in order to get things accomplished. But I find I I become very concerned about the way politics is entering education in a way that people don't even want to address issues that we should be talking about. I'm curious as to how Mm -hmm. you approach these conversations and how we can, hopefully change this narrative because I do I do find it quite yeah. disturbing so I know that was a challenging statement I said a lot mm-hmm. but I'll turn it over to you guys and mm-hmm. just really mm-hmm. just get your perspective on how do we how do we navigate in this situation knowing how toxic the climate is when you talk about anything with race inequity but you still have to talk you have to talk and deal with it because it's the reality of where we live and where we are
2: yeah
1: yeah yeah I'll say from ccfso I mean we
0: represent all, you know all the that- they yeah. teach, um, in the country and what we try to do is be um, that kind of our executive director often talks about like that friend next to them, helping them walk through their journey um, and really be a resource for them. Um, to make sure that they can trust us when they come to us, that they can trust the information we're providing them. Um, And we've had and invested in working around equity more, we've built out an equity access team uh, at the council. And we have a chief equity officer and have been running uh, like an anti-racism webinar series for them and really helped kind of be a learning organization for them um, to help them understand um, the kind of history Sure. around the intersection of racism and our education system um, and really be a support to them to help be a resource for them as they move forward and work individually kind of, with the chiefs and the SCAs to really kind of help them and think through and kind of expand their thinking. We do a lot of posing questions to them for them to explore and really think that really helps to try to push their thinking around right. kind of, what's happening within their, their states and communities.
1: I'm curious, uh, like, so Rebecca, when people come in, like, because I know there's, because look, I've dealt with it on the university level, and I've had mm-hmm. multiple ways of communicating it, but I always did communicate uh, the need for equity, why it had to happen. How do you deal with it when you get that resistance? When you know what you're doing objectively, based on the research, right. but mm-hmm. humans aren't my, myself included aren't always rational and we we're going to go back to our <laughs> our own biases and beliefs and so i'm sure you've had a situation where someone sees mm-hmm. this and they feel like you're doing something from a political lens when it's based on research and what's actually best for the kids how do you approach that situation yep. Yep. Uh, when it happens i know it, i know what's happened
2: Exactly. Oh yes. <laughs> um, I'm laughing because we're we're in the middle of like three of those situations I'm right sure. now in real time.
1: What you could say that's not confidential. Uh yeah,
2: that? not let us just say we because we work in likewise, we're you know, we, we don't cover all 50 states the way CCSSO does, right. but we are in very deep partnership with blue states, red states, purple states, um, and you know, political football, I think is the right phrase yeah. we say it a lot right now I, you know so a couple of things Rob I mean we really we as an organization have been on our own journey to better understand our own diversity equity inclusion justice both external positioning and internally how do we right. support staff how do we talk to each other what kinds of systems do we have so we're we're in the middle of a pretty deep journey ourselves. And what that's doing is it's giving us more clarity on um, our values and what do we, who, who do we want to be as an organization in the field? And so what we try to do can't always do it, but we try to start from that position and say, this is who we are. This is what we believe in. This is the kinds of education transformation we're working for. If you want to work with us, just know that that's what you're going to get. Right. Um, and so in some ways, because we're talking about concepts like competency-based education and performance assessment and sort of all these, you know, wonderful ways of starting to understand learning that we think are apolitical, um, yeah. but become very political. So, you know, so from a certain standpoint, we're trying to navigate that by saying, sure here's who we are. Yep. Um, this is this is what we stand for. Now, we have lots of, well, we've been around for over 20 years now. So lots of folks have known us in different places from different ways. So, so they know do you do get Yeah. ask those questions. Yeah, um, I'm sure you do. You know, and I, you know, I've been writing about and speaking about <laughs> student-centered research for years. And I don't yeah. always speak to, you know, audiences, like you said, like they'll, I've gotten... Lenny challenge. I mean, and
1: you're going to, and I think the environment is going, going to continue more. What I tend to yeah. do is, you know, especially if it's somebody I know, uh, but even if it's not, I, I try to get an understanding of where do they base their values on. There's some people that you that you can't mm-hmm. reason with; that they're just mm-hmm. there. Like, but generally speaking, people have some bases of values that they follow, and I work to try to get them to understand that this is coming from their values. Perspective. This is not coming from a different values perspective right. than, than, than you follow. And generally, that's been successful. Um, having people uh, understand where they come from and communicating and just get them to really just think about it. Uh, not necessarily attacking them to say like your race is your bias, but getting them to understand their perspective and then seeing this perspective in a way that reflects their values often works. That's That's usually what I do when I deal with people that have yeah. a different perspective or just automatically are, you know, against critical race theory without actually understanding what critical race theory is. Um, Because I I I think we have to work individually to get ourselves past this collective madness that is going on, because it is collective madness that is going on right Mm -hmm. now in our society. And I think a lot of it's fueled by how social media and things work at this time. Um, But I do think it's very important. Let's switch to the topics a little bit and go to, uh, actually, I want to talk about uh, related to that topic, but a little bit to talk about the pandemic and the effect that's had mm-hmm. on your work and how you've seen that kind of play out. So just in general, yep. the pandemic, I think, has done several things. I, I think it's um, it's created a a new normal in some ways in terms of how humans uh, and how we interact. I, I think there will always be an urge to have face-to-face, but I also think now, you know, what we're doing now digitally is now mm-hmm. Commonplace. It's just as common to Mm -hmm. to have a a a Zoom meeting as it is to if you need to look up information to Google. Like a Zoom and Google are like now terms we can kind of have together. That that's because of the pandemic now, and and people have meetings now. I'm sure the whole policies have changed in terms of how people meet. People now thought you couldn't that you had to meet in person. You had to have strategy meetings in person. You don't. (laughs) So we've learned and we've changed. But education, I'm sure, has had some challenges. What have you? What have you seen as the challenges and the opportunities in this moment with the pandemic, with the work that you guys are doing? I think one of the things we've seen
0: um, and even connected to the, the educator competencies is you know an understanding that the current system, like it was a stress test in a way the, the mm-hmm. pandemic and what we've mm-hmm. learned is that really this uh, model doesn't, can't work. Um, and so we've seen a real interest from states, but also around kind of looking at education in a new way. And I think that's what the, the kind of benefit has been. It exposed the inequities within our system to everyone um, and really forced everyone um, to look at kind of how we're doing school um, and seeing the, the challenges that this model has uh, taken. And what we've seen and what I've heard from the folks I work with that or uh, schools that were already on this model, that understood and empowered their learners to own their learning, they had the relationships with their students already um, and saw them as individuals and understood the of what they show up for the classroom is, so they were able to transition to this model, to this kind of hybrid remote learning model a lot more smoothly than some of the more traditional education uh And so we want to take uh, advantage of that and highlight that and illustrate that there is a new model that's out there that's been around for a while that state school districts can look to as as enabling more empowerment of their learners so they don't have to be in front of them at all times to know that they're learning, uh, but also that builds those strong relationships with learners and even through the work, like we finished this project through the end of the pandemic and had to Mm -hmm. shift and integrated kind of the importance of social emotional learning um, in the competencies because we saw it as such an elevated uh, focus that uh, schools in the system were looking at, um, but also not just the social emotional effects of the learners, but the educators themselves and ensuring that they're uh, supported and uh, are able to kind of show up their best selves in order to, to support the learning of their students. So really kind of, exposing the inequities yeah. that were already there and that were hidden for some people.
1: Um, but, I think uh, but yeah, exactly, said that right. It was hidden for people some people because they didn't see it, correct? Right.
0: Exactly. Um, and so it really exposed uh, the system. And I think the hope is that uh, the field is looking for kind of a new system. Um, and luckily there have been folks that have been working in the field for a while that can point right. to it. Um, so folks aren't just starting from scratch uh, now that we're slowly moving out of the pandemic
1: yeah i think uh you know rebecca as we look at this year mm-hmm. some some see this as a lost year for a lot of students right in mm-hmm. and there and, and you know mm-hmm. personally my home with a son it's it's, it's even even mm-hmm. with resources difficult depending on who you are like remote is challenging for some kids period some kids remote is just bad for it i mean mm-hmm. you can have the best engagement you can but some kids just
2: absolutely remote
1: is just not it um yep. you know but that being said if you don't have resources and uh, you were already uh, challenged, as, um, as Ryan said, um, you saw a lot you mm-hmm. saw a really dramatic kind of setback for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, what do you see as our opportunity here, like that going forward, like what what, 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 what what gives you hope that we're going to get mm-hmm. better from this moment and actually grow? Uh, Cause mm-hmm. we, we know of the drastic kind of uh, things that happened. Yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure you've seen the numbers And there, there. This was, this was, this was a, this was a really challenging year for learning for everyone. Like yep. what, what can we take away? Like if there's something specifically you can point to that, some of the work that you guys have is doing could help folks. I would love to hear about mm-hmm. what you see as a, a kind of a hopeful course going forward from this moment with the pandemic.
2: So I see a lot to hope for, Rob. um, And a lot of what Ryan was just saying it so we we've been at this work again for close to a decade and this was a pretty massive reset and yeah (laughs) that's another thing you know there's a little bit you know there's that little piece of me that's kind of like told you so like if we had been paying attention to individual learner needs to social emotional to relationships to you know the You know, the the horrible lack of equity in our schools. You know, things that Ryan and I and our organizations have been talking about, screaming about, writing about, researching about for years. We would have been in a very different place in this pandemic. And so I, well, the numbers are staggering and horrifying right now. There's. The hope and the optimism I have is that there are fewer people who think it's okay to go back to normal. You know, we, there's a lot more talking about a new normal or how are we gonna reinvent or what have we learned from this pandemic moment that we wanna keep? Because things like paying attention to social emotional, paying attention to relationships. I mean, there, there's been no bigger, you know, kind of proof point at this point that would have been possible given the massive disruption of so yeah. many students lives, parents lives um, and for so long we've been saying look at how different every learner is um, you know and we all have now our mini case studies I mean you have children who are home I had two siblings you know my my two s- children who are siblings, same parents, same household like super different experiences. Yep of remote learning and pandemic and what each one of them needed and how they each found ways to socialize and we were extremely fortunate that they were able to adapt to a remote setting but then kids two houses down in a similar school system could not adapt to the remote setting so Mm -hmm. while it means we have a you know a just unbelievable um set of needs of students and and trauma and academics to figure out. I don't think anybody can argue anymore that there's this, you know, oh, if we just all give everybody the same thing, it'll be okay.
1: Yeah. (laughs) yeah. And and with that, no one's going to argue about how valuable, I don't think, at least at least anytime soon about how valuable teachers are when you <laughs> you had to go to be a, a, a teacher for yourself. Oh my God. Right. You're like, this is work.
2: Right. And as Ryan said, I mean, if you had a relationship with a school and with a teacher, you tended to do better. You tended to stay connected. So why wouldn't we pay attention to things like relationships? Why wouldn't we privilege those as much as academics? Because they are so tightly connected. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one one more thing that gave me a little bit of hope, and we don't we don't have enough numbers about this, but talking to friends in the field whose um, you know school networks served um, some of our most marginalized students, um, and just you know some of the anecdotes we were able to pull out of the field is for some youth who going to school was already a traumatic experience, who are already facing bias and, and yeah. you know cultural negativity every day. For some of those students, being able to disengage for that gave them their the time that they would never had to actually yep. celebrate their own learning and learning in their own way. Because some students it was
1: better for her. for
2: some it was better. <laughs> and we have a not, you know, there again, I'm 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 eager for those story. Now I know again it does not negate the many, many, many you know, the, the, the trauma of the time, the losses of no. a relationship. But I think it just points to the fact that one size is never gonna fit exactly.
1: all. Exactly, if it's the opportunity for, there should be some uh, remote learning opportunities Absolutely. for for some students in some ways, because if it works,
2: Absolutely. And we are seeing states (laughs) that are improving their remote offerings. We are seeing states that are looking at a more competency-based framework so that you're not, it's not all about learning loss. I mean, I'm I'm trying very hard to avoid that term because what, you know, against who? Benchmarked against what? I mean, we need to really understand. That's
1: a fair point. What have you learned
2: and how do we help you you get back on track? Um, and so is exactly. that something that a competency-based system can do a lot more than you know one standardized test and either either you met it or you didn't. I mean, let's find out. i uh, will totally
1: get standardized tests. You're, you're preaching to the converted here. I was horrible <laughs> at I was horrible at standardized tests. Ironically, there I got go. once I once I got to law school. Right, right. Once I got to law school, and eventually, I, actually, I failed the bar the first time. The second time, I got one of the highest scores in the state. I, I figured out there the hack go. in my brain. To figure there out how go. to do standardized tests but it right. didn't make me better but it, test, but it, right it didn't make me, exactly <laughs> i didn't learn better i figured out how to take a test better and right. that's not learning we have to we have to really get around like i can i can have a whole yeah. podcast about tests. Yeah. and we're tests. seeing
2: some openings for that conversation too so that's another place that i'm feeling hopeful coming out of the pandemic is some realization yeah. that Maybe those tests, you know, they, and and we absolutely we we need to know benchmarking. We need to know oh yeah, you know, where are folks ways in some kind it. of standardized way. But let's open up that definition a little bit more to really think about how do you measure learning.
1: Oh, absolutely, and uh, you know what, when you talk about learning loss, and I want to move on to something else. I think that I think my biggest concern is for kids that were just starting high school and mm-hmm. they had a really bad year in terms of their grades how is that going to be viewed from colleges? And to me, college and universities need to probably give some grace for this year for the, for 20, for the 2020 yeah. part of 2021 and just say, this was just a unique time. And so I'm hoping that yeah. that's, that's going to be a part of the consideration. That's really what I, that's, that's my biggest concern because the other mm-hmm. stuff, if you're not in high school, it's probably, you can probably, you'll be okay. It's not being counted against you, but, when you right. did poorly in this year, that counts against you in a cumulative way. So that's kind of my mm-hmm. only kind of concern. That's, that's not my only concern. That's one of my biggest concerns. And so how yeah. is that going to be viewed? I mean, the, the other concern I have is what about the emotional component? Let, let's dive into that a little bit because I, I, I'm i interested to hear about that. Um, you know, uh, there was an the emotional component of, of not being able to be around people. We're tribal by nature. So that... That did something to that did something to me. So I imagine it did something <laughs> to kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and, and, you know, if, if you're black in this country, um, you or brown, and you and you saw what was happening. This is not new to you. It's yeah. been happening all the time, but in a way that was just more transparent and just kind of because even when you have things that are happening in an unjust way on a regular basis, we people like to escape from it, not to think about it all the time, because then that becomes your only reality. But when things happen with George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, so on and so forth, I can go through a lot of names. And I mean, it was really traumatic. It was traumatic for me. And I imagine it's traumatic for our kids in our schools that are going through this. So how did you, what did you learn from this moment? And how did you talk to your, uh, you know, for Ryan, from your point of view, how did you talk to the chief of staff? And then from, uh, you know, Rebecca, how did you, Figure out how to put that into a policy perspective, and dealing with this emotional trauma, uh, mm-hmm. and just dealing with tr- this emotional trauma in general, and how that was something you we could learn from or expand from, uh, given what just happened. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, through work, really put an emphasis on you know identifying and talking about it. The our system needs to talk about. Kind of what is what is and identifies both the, the macro trauma that occurs, but then also the micro trauma for individual. Students, and so I think throughout the kind of this project we worked on and throughout um, is really putting an emphasis on the importance of that social emotional relationship that educators have with their students and making sure that they understand kind of who they are as individuals, how they bring their community into the classroom, uh, and kind of making sure that they're building an environment that a student is does feel safe and feels. Because we know from the science of learning and development that in order for a student to be able to learn best, they need to feel safe and secure and have adults around them that believe in support in them. So, you know, with our work, we're just trying to emphasize the importance of uh, kind of well-being for students and putting out uh, resources that will allow states to work with districts in the schools to think about how to create uh, environments where there is more well-being uh, for their students and their educators, uh, to ensure that as we move through this moment to understand the trauma that we've all collectively felt and then some far greater than others, um, to really understand how to create an environment that will, as we continue to move back into the classrooms or think about learning different ways, that puts an emphasis on uh, the child and the educator's well-being. Um, I think we've seen previously it's a lot more focused on academic and academic success, but we've seen that was starting already, but I think really accelerated. Uh, during the pandemic, a real emphasis on kind of the the students' uh, well-being and ensuring you have a system and a school that supports kind of the whole child um, and ensures that they're able to thrive to their best ability um, in an environment that is supportive of them and their individual uh, uh, needs, their strengths, and kind of of what makes them
1: them. Yep. Rebecca?
2: So I I think what Ryan said was just, spot on and i think for us and and in some ways in particular with this project it it enabled us to to, to be more clear and transparent
1: than we had in the past. Yeah. Um, look, I, you, you, what you're saying is no different from what I experienced either. And I, I'll, I'll say it more, more frankly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when talking to white Americans, I could, it was easier to have a conversation about racism exactly. uh, and for them to understand that this is not something that I was over-exaggerating, making up, uh, because people, it's hard to deny it, right? So right. no matter where you came from, so it was became impossible to yep. deny it. So it, it, the conversations, I've never had more conversations uh, with my white counterparts about race. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that there is you know, a moment where we actually, like we, we expand and have real impact yeah. too, where we, um, I'm happy to see people with their diversity statements. I'm happy to see people say mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, kind of. But at the end of the day, like what really mm-hmm. matters to me more is what policy changes yeah. are you going to do? What practices are you going to change? How are you going to make sure we have more equitable results? across the board that that's, I, right. I care about that more. Words do matter. So I'm not going to say mm-hmm. they don't matter, but what, what really matters is substance to back up what you say as well.
2: Yep. And from sort of an organizational standpoint, what it, I mean, naming it, okay, we earlier, we were talking about definitions, not just kind of say, I mean, equity at this point has almost become almost a fluff term, I mean, yep. I would never say, but, but really naming, what do you mean? And for whom and where? And then in kind of my sphere, sphere, it's then, well, then how do you measure the impact of it? How do you surface it in a way that we can show what is happening to black and brown bodies so that we can show if we are thinking about student-centered learning, we can show that in fact, it is helping Close gaps and open opportunities, rather than exacerbate them. Yep. Um, so, for for you know, from a very sort of organizational operational standpoint, it has given us um, more clarity and more um, necessity of naming it and being clear about what are we going to do about it. Um, and so, you know, and then I also think it's sort of a very personal level um, you know I I'm a white person I did not experience it personally but um, had you know children who are of an age to understand the news and so I mean there were daily conversations there were um, how are their schools handling it so and and again this was something that you know in in well 12 years of having one child and and nine of like it was. It has never been this explicit, which I take as a really positive sign. Because if you yep. can't talk about it and you can't name it and you can't uh, measure it, then you're never going to be able to change
1: what's absolutely, going on. Absolutely, absolutely not. Yeah, when you avoid a problem, the problem grows. You, you, mm-hmm. if you try to uh, avoid dealing with your suffering, your suffering increases. You don't. You got You got to deal with it. And this has been the single biggest challenge with dealing with race and equity in this country is that. The way to address it is to uh, not deal with it or pretend as if it doesn't exist, which always makes the problem worse. You got you got to you got to really have a um, acknowledgement of the issue uh, before you can address it, and and I and I think that's been a major problem for us at, collectively as Americans. It's been our one of our greatest, if not the greatest, kind of our block. <laughs> We've just had that kind of it's been like our emotional block that we just don't want to deal with. Um, but, you're, but the pandemic uh, mm-hmm. you know, made people deal with a lot of things that they previously had ignored. And so I, I do think there is hope in this opportunity that people can see this moment and, and want to make sure that we are better for it and not, and not repeat some of the same inequities and systems that have failed us in the past. Yeah. Uh, final question as we kind of wrap up here, uh, what does, what, you have your vision of success, however we can bring this out 10, 15 years from now. Mm-hmm. What does success look like?
2: that every educator in every system in the country is using the educator competencies for personalized learner-centered. Tri- I mean, I think, you know, hate to be pollyanna but if we were doing what is in those competencies, we would have a very, very different system of education with very different outcomes for,
0: in particular, yeah,
2: marginalized just, students.
0: And just to, you know, that and ensure that every student just has a positive experience at school that enables them to develop uh, themselves at their fullest uh, individual. And I think if educators and our system move towards this more personalized system that emphasizes individuals um, with their strengths, what they need to work on, their their backgrounds, their communities, uh, more students will have positive experiences in schools that will enable them to be successful as they move on um, into their adulthood.
2: We want each kid to love learning.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Ryan McDonald, Rebecca Wolf, it's been a pleasure having you on. I'd love to have you guys on again. Appreciate you coming on Disruption.
2: Thank you, Rob.
1: This was wonderful. Thank you.